Hello and welcome to the Leading Communities podcast, brought to you by Aspire for You CIC, Ideal Directions Marketing and hosted by That's All Media CIC. This podcast has been put together to help community leaders learn from proven leaders from proven organisations. My name's Marianne Delaney and I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to Leading Communities. My name's Marianne Delaney and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we'll be talking bereavement, and I have Zoe Pope, Anti-Knife and Youth Opportunities Campaigner, along with Hannah Galloway, Trained Bereavement Counsellor, joining me. Welcome, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. Thank you very much. Hello. So, Zoe, do you want to let us know a bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my name's Zoe Pope. Uh, I am a parent bereaved by knife crime. I lost my eldest son in August of 2018. Uh, since then, or certainly in the last six months, I've been quite active in anti-knife crime campaigning and now also campaigning for more youth opportunities. All right, thank you. And Hannah? Um, so I'm a recent psychology master's graduate and during that um, I got a bereavement counselling training qualification. Um, I'm here with Aspire for You and I'm going to be leading a podcast soon for young people um, on the On Point News channel. So yeah. Okay, and that's a, a news channel aimed at, what's the, can you tell us a bit more about the news channel itself? So the news channel um, is a positive platform um, to be to discussing all the, the, the like present news. Okay, okay, so let's just letting people know about what's going on in the local community. Yep. Okay, brilliant. All right, so there's obviously there's two Two different types of, you know, like uh, stances on what's happening. Um, we have a few questions that I'm going to start with. So question one, where do you start when um, you start campaigning through bereavement, Zoe? Um, I think that's individual to each and every person. Um, I think when you're affected, uh, when certainly you have a loved one die through knife crime, um, not necessarily every parent's going to pick up the campaigning button. Um, I think that it's dependent on the person that you are. Uh, for me personally, I just wanted something positive to come from my son's death. Um, almost a reason for him dying so that he didn't die in vain. Uh, so my own journey is personal to that. Uh, and I just very much feel that if I can help provide more youth opportunities to stop young people picking up a knife in the first place, I can stop other parents from being me. Uh, and I suppose that's the goal, is to stop other parents being me and suffering my experiences. Okay. So, um, so Courtney, you died just over 18 months ago, yeah. is it? And um, can you tell us um, the circumstances of what happened? Yeah, for sure. He was, uh, he was living in Southampton with his girlfriend and uh, he went to visit a friend at a flat, uh, unbeknown to him, uh, visiting the flat opposite were two brothers who were drug addicts and uh, they decided, they saw him enter the flat and decided that they was going to rob him when he came out, uh, and which they did. He walked out of the flat uh, and they attacked him immediately uh, for his bag. He refused to hand his bag over, so the older brother then stabbed him and he effectively died at the scene. That's horrendous. And obviously, like, I'm sorry to hear about that. So how, um, on news of what happened... Obviously, you rushed to the hospital and yeah. were told yeah. devastating news. Yeah. And after that kind of series of events, what led you to, to begin campaigning? Um, oh, it's quite difficult, really. I, I suppose I was in a, 
in a pretty crap place for about a year. And uh, when the anniversary came round uh, of his passing and my daughter said to me, you know, mum, it's been a year now. You really need to try and start living again. Uh, and then I was approached by uh, two ladies who set up Croydon Says Now, who wanted to do a nationwide campaign and asked myself and another lady, Rachel Warren, if we'd do uh, an event in Birmingham, uh, which we then did. And it kind of gave me another focus um, and I suppose a way not only to try and come to terms with the events in my own life, uh, but the need to satisfy the need in myself to try and stop this happening again and again and again. Mm. Uh, although we are seeing it happen every day. Somewhere in the UK, somebody's stabbed almost on a daily basis now. Uh, but yeah, just to try and inspire communities to start working against it. I think the change can only come from us as a society. Mm. Uh, and if we as adults can start creating a force for change, hopefully the young people will follow suit. And obviously this, because it was such a, you know, a personal experience, um, what were you doing before this happened? Uh, I was self-employed. I was running a successful children's party hire business. Um, generally just living quite a, a nice life, really. Just enjoy, enjoying my kids, enjoying my career, um, working. And then when Courtney died, just everything stood still, I suppose. I cancelled all the bookings in my diary, gave up my business, didn't work for a year. Um, you see the emotional effects on the rest of the family. My daughter, for sure, has been in a, a, a pretty dire place since a brother passed. Uh, and that's what these young people, they don't understand the ripple effect that this kind of event has on a family or... or the situations and circumstances it can lead a family into mm. when you can't work because you're in so much physical pain from grief. Yeah. Uh, I was very lucky in that I've got a very supportive husband who picked up the reins for everything in the house and paid the mortgage and paid all the bills. Uh, and I consider myself very lucky that I had that support because there's parents out there that have got no support and have got no option but to return to work two weeks after such a tragic event in their lives uh I, I couldn't have ever imagined what it would have been like for me if I would have been in that situation where I had to return to work uh before I had chance to grieve properly yeah um I think there's a lot more support needs to be in place for people who suffer from this kind of bereavement and the support needs to be straight away on day one, not 12 months later or 18 months later. That support needs to be there. Uh, and sometimes we need to consider if they need financial support as well because um, through speaking to other bereaved parents, you know, not only do you lose your child, but you're then faced with a ginormous funeral bill Uh where, uh, and when you're in the realms of grief and unable to work and then you get presented with one bill after another that's all connected to your loved one dying, uh, I think it's quite compounding for a person uh, who's in that position to deal with so many 
external factors as yeah. well. Yeah, that honestly, I mean, I obviously haven't gone through yeah. this experience, but it can start, it sounds, um, you know, horrendously debilitating. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Hannah, obviously, you talk, you you were a, a bereavement counsellor. Can you explain like the effects and what people go through um, psychologically? Um, so when people do go through bereavement, it's such like a complex, um, long thing that happens. Um, I never knew before I was trained, but like there's different stages. So you can have like anger, like denial, um, but there's loads and loads of different stages. Um, and through cruise bereavement care, like I learned um, how important like getting help, getting like counselling is, um, which is why I think that this kind of help should be offered to yeah. everyone instantly. Yeah. Um, it literally is like, it shouldn't be questioned whether yeah. it's offered. It should just, yeah. should be like and a the, policy that's offered. The emphasis is on the person who's suffering yeah. to go out and find counselling themselves. Uh, when really, I think it should come via the police victim support uh, it should be introduced immediately to families yeah. and they should have a bereavement counsellor made available to them because although murder and manslaughter is, a, I would imagine, a different grief to just losing somebody to an illness or a tragic accident uh, because there's a multitude of complex emotions uh, added to what's normal grief. Um, and I, I think... Maybe we need more people in the counselling industry that's been affected by this kind of grief as well because it's very hard as a bereaved parent to talk to somebody who hasn't experienced that and feel in yourself that they understand. Uh, my most understanding people that I've spoken to has been other bereaved parents because as a bereaved mom, and I can talk to another bereaved mom, and I know she 100% gets every aspect of what I'm feeling inside. Uh, and I can talk to other bereaved moms in a way that I can't talk to my husband or my daughter or a friend because I don't feel inside that they can, they can fully understand that kind of grief. Uh, I'm sure many people will try, uh, but yeah, it's certainly talking to other bereaved parents that and uh, and closely bereaved people that's given me my, the most comfort yeah. in all honesty well i mean like you were saying that um you know not only is it the fact that you've lost a loved one yeah. as well there's the financial elements yeah. that are tied but also yeah. um you brought up the fact that there's you know essentially a court yeah. case yeah that you have yeah. to go to so yeah. it's just a consistent yeah. snowball of yeah well my son's court case was held in winchester uh it took three weeks so we traveled daily so that in itself you have to find the finances for 50 quid a day of fuel money for lunch money for childcare. um you know, like I said, I was lucky I had a really supportive husband who paid for me to do all of these things. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't know what... I could have been a parent at home in Birmingham without the means or financial capability to travel to Winchester to to go and... It, it, when your child is murdered, uh, the police are quite cagey about the evidence that they've got and you don't get to hear very much about the case until it actually goes to court 
And when your case goes to court, that is your real first opportunity to know all the facts uh, and to know the full story as what the police have got in evidence. Uh, so without the ability to go to the tr to the trial, I think you would be left very, very frustrated yeah. uh, and questioning the events for the rest of your life. So I think that the ability to go to the trial should be made available to all parents without them having to self-finance that. That should come from the authorities. If your child dies, I think you have got every right. It's a human right to attend the trial and listen to the events and the evidence. And unfortunately, I would guess for some parents that that doesn't happen purely down to financial reasons. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem horrendous. It's horrendous that that's not an option, to yeah. be honest. And I think, um, you know, um, I couldn't even fathom struggling with that. Yeah. And yeah. I can't even understand how, you know, like as you say, you were in a yeah. fortunate position. Yeah. As someone who is not. And I'd love to be able yeah. to say, oh, this is where you can get the help. Yeah. At the top of yeah. my head, I don't know. Yeah. So we'll hopefully have a look yeah. you, for something you, you, that we you can... You presume that something like that would come from the police victim support system, mm. uh, but they're underfunded like everybody else. And, yeah. and I know with my son's case, uh, our liaison officers uh, asked if we could be provided a hotel, uh, just a cheap travel lodge, so that instead of travelling to and from Winchester every day, we actually could stay there Monday to Friday while the trial was ongoing. And that was turned down, that request, which the police liaison officers put in. Uh, so I guess it's turned down for a lot of families, not just ours. Uh, <clears throat> like I say, I was just fortunate enough that my husband financed me traveling every day to Winchester and back uh, and took the reins of childcare and everything up while I did so, because he understood that my need was to know what happened to my son. Uh, and I, I really couldn't imagine if I didn't have that support, how I would have got to Winchester and back every day. I would have, I would have slept in my car or done anything possible mm. to attend the trial because that need inside yourself, it needs to be satisfied. You have the right as a parent to know what happened to your child um, or you, if you're a wife of a husband that's died or vice versa, I think you've got as a close personal relative to that person who's been murdered, it's not their fault that they've died. It's not your fault you've got to attend a trial and you're dealing with all your grief. Uh, you may even be dealing, as in our case, um, my son died on the 25th of August 2018. Um, they actually removed his brain for forensics, specialist forensics, and they sent his brain away, which took six months. So his body was released back to us just as the trial was starting. So we had the trial, we had the release of his body, we had a funeral to arrange. He was actually buried on the 1st of May 2019, which, as you can imagine, is an awfully long time after he actually died. And this this certainly weighs, uh, which are government governmental issues, that you can make that process easier for loved ones that are dealing with that scenario. Support systems should definitely be in place for people who are dealing with such an event in their lives because there is no support. Uh, my only support, I never heard from the actual victim support provision that's supposed to be in place 
all of my support came from other bereaved parents, which I actually went out, sought out myself. Yeah. So far as the authorities are concerned, I can't see any support available to bereaved parents. Have you heard of Cruise? I have, yes. Yeah. Um, so when I was training, there was like different days available. Um, yeah. Like, so losing like a baby yeah. through pregnancy, like that yeah. kind of bereavement yeah. counselling. Um, I know there was like, there's yeah. like military stuff, like yeah. stuff for murder. Yeah. Um, and um, you'll often, like I found, because I was in a room full of, different people yeah. who were training to be counsellors, yeah. a lot of them had gone through bereavement themselves. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether like that yeah, would be helpful. In yeah, the sense there's, a, there's another charity that's Birmingham-based as well called SAMS, and that's Support After Murder and Manslaughter. Okay. Uh, and I think they offer some bereavement counselling. I'm not quite sure how many people take advantage of it. Yeah. Because psychologically in yourself, you've, feel like you need to know that the other person's suffered something similar to you to have that understanding. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is one of the barriers. It's not maybe that there's not support there through like Cruz and Sam's. Uh, maybe that barrier is inside the bereaved person of yeah. needing to know that somebody's suffered similar to have that depth of knowledge and understanding. Yeah. yeah, do you think something like group therapy would be good? Like, I think each person's individual. Yeah, and I think it depends on what kind of um, family and friendship. Yeah, that's support true. you have. I think if you've got, like, I found, I, I contacted other bereaved parents, and you kind of. Uh, so I'm on a few groups on Facebook that's bereaved parents supporting each other, uh, and for me that was my greatest support, and I had a good. I had a good relationship with my daughter, so we kind of support each other, and my husband supported me financially. So I didn't really such need to go to an external support yeah. group. Mm -hmm. But for somebody, if they're not in that position and they've got very little in their own lives as as, as a support, then they would need or be in more need of bereavement counselling. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, from what it sounds like is that you took um, action off your own accord yeah, and yeah. kind of went forward with that, yeah. um, enough so that obviously you were contacted by other bereaved yeah. parents yeah. and you were then kind of, um, you you worked to yeah. create an event that took place yeah, in Victoria right, Square yes. in Birmingham. Yes. Do you want to let us know more, a bit more about that? Yeah, it was essentially just an anti-knife crime event. Uh, we had a stage and a few performers, a few talented youth, a few motivational speakers uh, and really it was just an appeal to the community of Birmingham, uh, to all communities to start interacting and communicating with each other uh, in a way that we can find answers and solutions to what's happening within our young people societies, definitely. Um, so, yeah, the whole event really was just to sort of publicise the fact that we're here, where Birmingham says no, we're here fighting against knife crime to support youth groups to try and provide more youth opportunities and to generally to try and get communities working within themselves to tackle this as well yeah so how was the process for you so from being um you know contacted and asked and obviously yeah. that was a year after yeah was it and that's and then just from there it's kind of you've 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 not yeah you've moved yeah like you've gone, emotions, on, gone, gone on, on to do, to do, other, do other things, to do other things. yeah uh, from the event our main 
a main audience at the event, I suppose, was other bereaved or affected people. We did hope to attract more young people. Uh, but coming away from the event, I kind of got the feeling that events are great for publicity, but you kind of, you the, the people that you attract your audience is generally people that have already been affected by knife crime or violent crime. And that maybe the audience that you're trying to aim yourself at isn't the audience that you actually attract. So I came away from the event a little despondent that the event maybe hadn't attracted the people that you wanted it to, but it also gave me reason to explore in myself what other what other things can you do? What can you do to reach the affected youth? And it led me on to doing a, a minor youth work qualification and starting to mix within community youth centres and through that realising that the best work and the the most optimal way to reach disengaged young people is through grassroots level youth work uh, and through the youth workers that have already got established relationships in communities. Uh, they're the ones that's on the ground. They've got already established relationships with the kids in their areas. They're already providing uh, opportunities and act activities. And that's where the biggest impact is to be made. Uh, the more we can finance grassroots youth work and the more we opportunities we can push out to them to push out into their young people in their communities is the biggest difference that we're going to make. Yeah, so those, those are the lessons that you've learned, essentially. Yes, most definitely, And yeah. the impact of that is we just need to get into more areas where, you know, you're trying to engage the right yes. type of, you know, um, yes. individual. Yes. So that's worked for you in terms of school routes. So you've, yeah. you've basically... Um, so in marketing, we normally kind of measure a campaign by a particular goals or metrics. Yeah. And obviously it's different because it's qualitative or quantitative. So it'll probably yeah. be more quantitative for yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's more about how you've made a difference to that individual's yes. life. Yeah. So your original campaign, or that it taught you a lot, yeah. um, but actually it gave you the boost and the insight to, to, to go To move elsewhere. it forward and to explore other avenues, most definitely, uh, because... We're the adults. It's up to us uh, to put ourselves out there and to, to push for better outcomes for our young people. I think uh, our young people at the moment, if they're doing well in school, that's great. They're progressing. If they're not go going so great in school, we start bombarding them with negativity. Uh, and, and instead of inspiring them, we're letting them believe that they're useless, they're thick, they're stupid, uh, when really we're all good at something, we're just not all academic. Uh, and I think we need to reach out to the kids that are aren't academic and are the ones that are failing in school and the ones that are slipping through the net, if you like, uh, and finding a way to make them believe in themselves and to build their self-esteem and confidence, to find what they're good at, to channel their energies in a positive way. Uh, and to be able to show kids that, you know what, even if you're not academic, that's okay. There's lots of other stuff in life that you can do and you can be successful at if you're not academic. Uh, and I think that's missing. And I think the kids that fall through the net are the kids that are vulnerable to being picked up by gangs, 
to go into selling drugs, being violent, uh, being disengaged from society, being antisocial. So we need to stop that before it happens. So at the minute that they start failing at school, we need to be in there and say, well, you know what? You might not be good at that. That's no bad thing. It's not the end of the world. You're not thick. You're not stupid just because you're not A-level English. You're not stupid. We'll just find what you're good at. We'll find what you're good at and we'll run with that and we'll find opportunities through that and find you things to do in life where you can progress. Uh, you could be a cook. You could be a chef. You could be a... Uh, I don't know. You can be anything you want. Anything you want is achievable. Just because you're not good at maths or English and the teachers are telling you you're no good doesn't mean that that's the end of your life and you need to be antisocial. Yeah, and that's probably... I mean, it's so easy for people to feel like that, isn't yes. it? So, I mean, obviously, we've all, we're all young. We've all gone it's, through being teenagers. It's very easy like, for you know. us as adults. So uh, if, if you're in an adult peer group... And your friends, and this happens to most adults, sometimes you're with a bunch of friends and after a bit you'll get the feeling that, you know what, actually, I don't quite fit in with that friendship group. But as adults, we just, we, we move on and we find more friends. But when you're a teenager, it's much more harder to do and you need, and you need to, that feeling of fitting in with your friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're at school and you start failing and all the rest of the class is doing okay, they don't even need to be excelling, they just need to be doing okay and you're failing. Suddenly there's a barrier between you and your peer groups and, that, and you can feel like your peer groups are looking at you and thinking, well, why don't you, why aren't you like that? Why aren't you good at that? And, and when you get that feeling from your teachers as well, uh, you know, you should be achieving this. Why aren't you achieving this? And that moves then into the home because then you've got a parent saying, well, your teacher said that you should be able to do it. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you behaving like that? All of a sudden, for this teenage person, every area of life is a battleground. Mm -hmm. And... I can't imagine what it's like to be a 14-year-old and to see every area of my life like, like a battleground uh, and something's, something has to give. And usually it's a child's behaviour that spirals out of control. Um, so I figure that's where the intervention needs to be uh, and you need to, not just about discipline or forcing a child to conform or forcing a child to do well. It's about us stepping up our game and saying, well, you know what, actually, if you're not doing that well at that, we'll find what you're good at. We're putting too much emphasis on the child fitting into what we want instead of meeting them halfway. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's very easy, as you say, especially if adults are telling you or comparing you to other people yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. So if you get home and you're still get, you're getting that from a parent yeah. as well, yeah. Um, it, it, you, and then you're going online yeah. and people, everybody, you're, you're kind of comparing your life to everybody else, yeah. like as you say. Because everybody's living their best life on Facebook, you yeah. see, because what we, what, what, although social media is, is a great tool, like we're doing a podcast now and it's a great tool, uh, at the same time, 
with social media, everybody is just showing their best life. So when you're, you might go on Instagram and you might see one of your friends out having a night bowling or having a meal and you look at that and you think, oh, why isn't my life like that? But what that photograph isn't showing you is that maybe for two nights that week, that family's had beans on toast to be able to afford to go out to the cinema that night. Yeah. Social media doesn't show you the backstory uh, and it doesn't show you that for every good thing we have, we sometimes make sacrifices for that. Uh, so I th we're, through social media and through everybody showing their best life, we're giving our children and our young people unreal expectations of what to expect from their own life. And we're kind of giving them the impression that, you know what, to succeed, you have to be living this best life every single day, 24 hours a day, it always has to be your best life. Yeah. The reality is life isn't that. And yeah. Life isn't that. We work hard, we, get, we treat ourselves occasionally if we've got a little bit extra, but life isn't actually living your best life every day on Facebook. Uh, and that perception we need to change for our young people. We need to realise that they need to see hardships as well as uh, brilliant stuff because life is up and down. And to, to be successful as a human being, you need to be able to uh, look at a hurdle in life and think of ways to overcome it. Mm, yeah, and we're taken away by just showing our best life all the time. We're slightly taking that ability away. Yeah, and the thing is, with kids and you know teenagers, they're not actual. They're not classed as adults until they're eighteen, so yeah. they're not accountable for everything. Yeah. Like obviously, we all have things where we're like, right, okay, my bad, that's my responsibility. Yeah. Um, but I know as as a an adult and as a parent, I mean, you'll you'll be doing you've been doing work with parents yeah. as well. Yeah, what kind of um sessions or conversations do you have with parents that can help um i try and whenever i whenever i work with a par parent and child that's having a difficult time i always encourage them to reconnect um my best suggestion to parents uh when you're having a slightly troubled relationship with a child uh is to take one night a week and make that one night a week something where you do something together and spend quality time and if affordable, make that outside the house uh, so that you haven't got any home issues there while you're having that quality time uh, to make a few ground rules. So say, for instance, you say every Wednesday night is our quality time. So my ground rules, rules would be not to discuss any issues uh, that you've got, anything that you're disagreeing about. And you make that one night a real positive. So even if sometimes through the week, things might be a little bit fraught or you might have disagreements, you can fall back on that one night that's always going to be a positive and always going to be a positive quality time for parent and child or carer and child uh, so that you can balance out. So even though not everything through the week might be positive and you might have a few negatives if, they've, if you've got issues going on, but at least that one day or one evening a week is a positive and a time to connect and to tell each other if you, lo you love each other and, and the things that get forgotten about when you're having angry moments. Um, so, yeah, it's 
bridge building mm. uh, and trying to open up ways of communicating without arguing. So when, I, when I'm with a young person, I'll kind of explain to them how you get a better result from uh, less confrontational discussions. So if you can keep calm and you can put your points of view forward in a calm and rational manner without an explosion, that the person that you're actually trying to get through to will take on board the points way more than if they're said in anger or just thrown out in an angry conversation. And the same with the parent as well. And because sometimes it's just a case of taking a step back and having a few deep breaths and then saying, right, instead of just going, actually, you know what? This is what I think. This is why I think it. These are the options. These are the alternatives. What do you think about it? It's a way of opening up a two-way discussion rather than just two people screaming their points at each other. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard. Sorry, did you want to... No, I was just going to say that is like an, um, such an amazing idea. Like I yeah. haven't heard of that specifically, but when you're a kid, um, have you heard about attachment styles and stuff? Uh, a little bit, not... not any, I've not looked at anything yeah. too much. So, like, there's, there's secure, um, which is, like, how forming yeah. healthy relationships with other people, yeah. um, insecure avoidant, yeah. which is where, like, you avoid relationships yeah. and get your satisfaction from other things. Yeah. And then insecure, ambivalent, where yeah. you like push pull, like yeah. push pull, like yeah. I want something but I yeah. can't have it. Yeah. Um, if like a parent did that every single week, yeah. if there were still problems at home, yeah. you'd have a much better chance at securing a healthy yes. um, attachment style yeah. when you're older, just from that yeah. once a week. Yeah. Um, and I think like purely by doing that, that in itself could avoid yeah. knife crime in the sense that if somebody has a healthier yeah. attachment style, they're going to resort yeah. to better coping mechanisms yeah. Yeah. and going to be less likely to f- feel satisfied yeah. by being in a gang. Yes. So that in itself yeah. is yeah. an amazing a lot, idea. A lot, of, a lot of kids that get become embroiled in gang life, that begins from a point of feeling misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, and if you can, as a parent, keep that one quality night a week going... Uh, it gives you a chance to communicate. When you're having fun, you can communicate and talk about lots of other subjects while you're having fun. Uh, so the idea is that you conversate without it becoming confrontational. Yeah. Uh, and then you start to understand different points of view uh, and you maybe start to look at maybe something who was like, I want that, I want that. Maybe then you look at it and think, oh, well, you know what, actually, I need to do this and that to deserve that or... You know, and I always try and instill in young people that I talk to, if you can speak to an adult in a non-confrontational, non-aggressive way, they will actually listen to your point of view. But the minute it becomes confrontational or aggressive, the point goes out of the window and it just becomes an argument. Mm. And there's you get no, you get no positive outcome from it. So, but at least if you can learn to sit and discuss things rationally you might not get the outcome that you want and that's life, Mm. but sometimes you will just because you've managed to put your point forward in a concise and confident and explanatory way. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, um, it would be so nurturing for the child in the sense that if a child's only learned that they're going to get something from confrontation, how much more likely they're going to be to get involved in knife crime when they're older because that confrontation will get yeah. where they yeah. need and to be. We, we also have a fear factor as well now because uh, knife crime is 
quite prevalent. It's in the papers every day. It's on the news. It's on Facebook every day. So we've got a fear factor that some children are actually picking up a knife for self-protection or what yeah. they see as self-protection. Uh, so we need our kids to be more informed and to know that quite often you can carry a knife for self-protection and then that knife can actually be took from you and used yes. against you. Um, it, it's just a matter of having intelligent conversations and, and, and giving your kids credit for the intelligence that they actually have. They understand far more than what we think they do. And as parents, we're not dictators. It's quite all right to be a friend, to be a child's friend. Uh, you do have to make the decisions as a parent, but you can explain that to a child and they'll take it on board. So mm -hmm. you can sit down with a child and you can say, well, you know, I know you want this. You can't have it for this week because you've maybe not done your chores or been the best behaved. But if you do this, this and this next week, we'll see if we can work on it. Just communication. A lot of this issue that we have with our children is communication. And I think the fault lies with probably my generation because technology's come along and all of a sudden you've got parents that are engrossed in their phones, uh, they're engrossed in the internet and the child is effectively just there like a pet. Mm. And we actually need to take on board as adults that it's our job. It's not the child's job to develop themselves. Yeah. It's our job yeah. to develop our children. Yeah. Well, actually, I kind of, and I know this sounds really off point and strange, but obviously you kind of brought up a thought in my mind about how, you know, parents can... A tablet babysits their child yeah, that's rather right, yeah. than, you know, like their parent yeah. going out, you know, weather can put people off, but yeah. going out in all sorts of weather, I think is really yeah. healthy for kids. Yeah. Um, it makes them resilient. It builds them up. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I heard was a grammar school was saying that kids shouldn't be reading books anymore. And it's a different, they should be using, reading it from tablets. Um, or no, not using notebooks it yeah. was to write, whereas I think that's a totally yeah. different creative yeah. way of using your yes, brain. And I it is do, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Although as a marketeer, I feel that social media can be beautiful in, in ways yeah. that we can make connections and yeah. you know spread joy and messages. There is a dark side to it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I do. It, there is a responsibility of parents. I I do it with my daughter. Sometimes yeah. I'm looking at my phone, and yeah. you know, I have to put it down. Yeah. Like after after yeah. when sometimes she's you home. have to check yourself. As well. I, I yeah. we all do it because yeah. social media is quite compelling. You see something that's interesting, and you think, oh, I'm looking at that. Yeah. But I, for my for myself at home, I try and make sure that me and my son have got an hour or two a day where I actually put my phone down. And, and we read a book or we, we, we play or we watch TV together. Uh, luckily, I've got a horse, so my lifestyle is quite outdoors anyway. So my son spends lots of outdoor time. Uh, he is allowed a little bit of YouTube on his dad's phone at the weekend. And I think as he gets older and he develops into teenage years and he, and he gets to an age where he wants his own phone, I think I'll definitely be that parent that says, you know what, nine o'clock at night, you hand your phone in yeah. and you get it back the next morning because I think everything within a balance uh, and I think if, you, if your child's doing a, a certain amount of activities, outdoor, indoor, football, sport, music, uh, you can balance that out and you can allow them to have techno time. Mm -hmm. But it definitely should be a balance. So 
now, that tech now time should be balanced along other activities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, there was, uh, I went to a, an anti-knife crime workshop and uh, it's a police and crime commissioner who actually said that a lot of knife crime starts online. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where people argue. Yes. They just argue, yeah. it's all bravado. And then that's the first right. white time they meet that's each other right. is with and a it, knife. It's very easy when you're on the phone and not in front of somebody to say things that you wouldn't say if you was if that person was present there in front of you. And I think our kids, through, through so much interaction on social media and through everything being so technology orientated, that we've maybe lost a few social skills. Kids need to play with each other and they need to interact with each other and they need to, for, they need to realize friendship boundaries and relationship boundaries. And that can't be achieved online. That can only be achieved by real people interaction. Yeah, by talking to people. Sorry. And I think as well, um, I agree with you both that social media is a really important platform that can be used in a really positive way. But I think for children and for everyone, I think everybody should be informed that social media is addictive yeah. and using your phone, yeah. it is designed yeah. through to be dopamine. Addictive, yes. You get a dopamine hit every time yeah. you, you're looking through. Yeah. Like the blue light is there designed yeah. to keep you awake. Yeah. Like I think that everybody should have that information and everybody yeah. should know that's why yeah. I keep I think, going on, use yeah. it in a, a balanced think, way. I do think a lot of children that behave disruptively as well uh, quite possibly do so, do so because when they've got access to their own phone and that's not limited, you'll find that they're on they're, they're in bed they're in a at 11 o'clock at night and they're on Facebook or Instagram and they're not switching off and they're not yeah. having a quality night's sleep. So then when they wake up in the morning, they're tired and ratty and they go into school and become disruptive because they're already carrying tired and ratty on their shoulders. So I think as parents, we need to be the sensible ones and say, right, nine o'clock at night, Everything's off, internet's off, whatever's needed to create that downtime before your child retires for the night to bed. So whatever, what my son's five, his bedtime's at eight o'clock. At seven o'clock, seven o'clock's quiet time in our house. So at seven o'clock, everything's put away and it's that we can sit, we can watch TV together for an hour, we can read your reading books, but essentially it's... Um, switching off time so that at eight o'clock he's calmed down and he's ready to sleep. And I think we've lost a little bit of that. I think far too many, uh, especially teenagers, because you have the tantrums if you take away their phones and you have the drama. But if that's instilled from a young age and it's set as a ground rule from day one that they actually have the phone or the computer or the tablet, it becomes just accepted of, yeah, I've got that but I've got it till nine o'clock and then I don't get it back till eight o'clock the next morning because it, and, 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 you know, quality family time, quality family time is so important. So if you, for instance, we sit down and have dinner together on my husband's days off and we always sit at the table uh, because it instills good table manners. That's not to say that on days when this, we're, we're just in and out of the house. We don't, we're, sometimes we have a TV dinner, but if we're all there, we all sit at the table, we eat together and the phones are put away. There's no technology at the dining table. And that gives us a chance to talk and communicate to each other because years ago, that's how things was in families. Um, 
you came home from work, school, you had dinner together. There wasn't technology. There wasn't the option of going on a computer. So you would play a board game or read books or watch a bit of TV. So I think it's important that we still retain those times for yeah. quality family interaction. Uh, and if that means having downtime and set times away from technology and internet and even TV, as a parent, you need to enforce that for the greater good of your children's learning skills and social skills. Yeah. Well, it's going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, having a quality evening yeah. with your sons or daughters. Yeah. Um, and obviously I know that you work a lot with a lot of community organisations, yeah. so you've got good links with those. Yeah. Um, and that's developed from, you know, the campaigning that you originally did and went Indeed, through. Indeed, yes. Um, so... Do you think it's what kind of advice would you give organisations that like you, the ones that you work with in terms of helping, um, you know, parents and young people kind of create those communications, get those communication skills or the activities that, well, you know, build that? See, when I go to the Haven Community Project and it's a really good little setup. They've, so they've got a house uh, which is used for uh, it's used for a women's, they run a women's group every Thursday morning uh, and they run various kind of support activities for parents. And then separate to the house, they've got like a pod, which is sort of like a youth club. That's where all the young people in the area go. Uh, and because they've got the two things going on, so they kind of know what the youth are up to and, the, and they know what the... It's brilliant. It works really well. And the youth worker there, Simon, has a good real good working relationship with all the people that's involved within that uh and i think very much it is down to each community um the communities are that are providing that are the ones that are really getting to the youth in their areas i think when you have we've got a big city in birmingham lots of different areas each area's got its own like little high street and stuff uh and each gang's got its own postcode and if no matter how hard you work, you're not going to get the young people that's involved in that gang in that area to come outside of that area to come to a youth project because you're asking them to come into areas where they might have got ongoing issues with that area's gang. So I think that the best way to reach the young people is is through the community centres that already exist in their areas or by introducing new community youth groups uh, into areas that haven't got them and work with them within their own areas to disrupt the gang mentality and then start introducing friendships from outside the areas once that is settled. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's no good working with kids that are doing well uh, and are going to prepare to travel out to you because they're not the kids that's actually the ones that's going to be picking up a knife. Mm. You've got to reach out to the disengaged young people in society and to give them hope for a better future and more opportunities because it's okay saying to it, if you've got a child, I don't know, as an example, you've got a 14-year-old boy. His parents are out at work all time, all the time. They're low-income earners. That child can't have uh, 
the latest Nike tracksuit or the latest Nike trainers because it's not within that family's capabilities. And they're on the fringe of a gang lifestyle and every day they're seeing that by selling drugs, you can buy that tracksuit or you can buy those trainers or you can have this. You have to be able to, it's no good saying to that 14-year-old, oh, don't sell drugs because it's really bad. Mm. That's not going to make a difference to that child's life. It's not going to stop him wanting those trainers or that tracksuit. If you can say to that child, look, that glamorous lifestyle has these outcomes, but we have got opportunities. You might not be able to buy the tracksuit in one day, but you can buy it in one month. You're giving them an alternative and you're giving them hope for a better future. And if you can give them options that aren't illegal, where they can go, go on in life to have a career and to support a family when they have one of their own, you will sway that decision because nobody wants to be illegal and commit crime. They just want to live. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Wow. Um, so it's kind of, it's baby, it's kind of steps. It's not like, yeah. a, it's not a short term no, there's no thing. Quick it's not going to happen there's overnight. It's definitely not a quick fix. So for community organisations, I mean, as you've been saying, like it's it's best to kind of get into the hub, like they're the closest people yeah. to, to yeah. these individuals um, and just kind of building programmes that can nurture people yeah. over time yeah. and not just young people, but yeah. their parents yeah. as well. So, and, yeah. and, and literally that's what you've learned yeah. from your journey. Yeah. Um, and what are your next steps going forward? Uh, my next steps going forward is hopefully uh, we've got a Music for All programme, which is starting on the first Wednesday in February. Uh, it's a free music programme. Uh, we welcome kids of all ages to come along. You can learn guitar, piano, and in a few weeks we'll be adding drums as well. And it's basically a confidence building class. So you get to learn a musical skill. But at the same time, it's confidence building, self-esteem, uh, discussing ways that to communicate more effectively, uh, discussing ways that you can overcome issues at school and stuff like that. Just general advice, really. Uh, later on down the line, once we're a bit more experienced ourselves and we're running in a more than one community centre, we'll probably start introducing some drugs awareness and alcohol awareness and parenting support groups. Uh, but at the moment, essentially, it's delivering the music programme to kids that aren't doing so well in school or kids where parents uh, are fearful, maybe through older siblings uh, that are trying to make sure that their younger ch child stays on the straight and narrow. Uh, and to provide... A hobby. You see, if they pick up an instrument and they enjoy playing it, uh, there's chances are some nights they might actually stay at home and practice playing the instrument rather than be wandering the streets messing about with their mates. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And is there any kind of, are you on social media for people to follow you I and am, keep up yes. to that? Do uh, you want to share your details? It, yeah, certainly. You can find me on the Birmingham Says No page. Uh, you can also, if you're a youth worker and work with young people, you can join the Youth Workers Umbrella West Midlands, which is a networking and opportunity sharing group for people who work with young people. So not for young people themselves, but for people who work within uh, offering services to young people, uh, jo join the umbrella. And uh, the Music for All programme, for sure, if you're a young person and you like music, drums, guitar, uh 
piano. If you've got any interest in learning those instruments, get in touch uh, and we can facilitate that as well. Okay. Have you got any closing remarks, Hannah, at all? Is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know about? Um, just about using social media wisely and in a positive way and in a balanced way, like, as you said, how important that is for yeah. development, but then also, like, what you said about, like, the free programme for, like, music and yeah. stuff, that's, like, a way of, like, expressing yourself yeah. and also yeah. not doing it through a screen yeah. and, like... Yeah. Just basically spending yeah. less time yeah. on screens, yeah. more, like, communication. It's to encourage self-creativity, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, and, and to inspire kids to be creative. Which then gives them yeah. a purpose in yeah. later life as well, which can yeah. prevent... All of this stuff is really good yeah. stuff. But, but, yeah, I think everything you're doing is amazing. Oh, thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, we can also keep up to date with through the uh, On Point news channel. Ah, you can come You can come out and do an article on the Music for All programme. <laughs> I genuinely would. Brilliant. So um, we ask each guest at the end of the podcast if they're reading or, you know, watching anything that they'd like to share that's kind of inspiring to them uh, or positive. I don't have time to read or watch. <laughs> I'm too busy. Uh, reading. Uh, PCC funding is about what I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a heavy read, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and yourself, Anna? Um, I'm like from Aspire I'm actually finishing off um, the Chimp Paradox, which is really oh, good for brilliant behaviourism and stuff. Yeah. That's like amazing. <laughs> um, as well on Netflix, um, there's some documentaries that are called Explained, oh. um, and they're really informative. Like if you ever did want to just chill and watch a documentary, all of them. Like there's some mind ones which are really, really, really good. Um, and then as well, like looking at inspirational YouTubers that can help you with any mental health problems or diet or fitness, um, all of that kind of stuff is really good. Can I just plug somebody else's film? Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I know a great uh, filmmaker called Gurmit uh, and I was privileged to do some uh, voiceovers. The film's called Get Gone and it's on Netflix and it is about gang life. And the film in the shortened version is being rolled out into schools to combat knife crime. Uh, and I did uh, some video stuff with him for the stuff that's going into schools. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it's gonna be a great watch. So yeah, and, and it is all about the issues that we've been sat discussing. So yeah, it's called Sounds Get good. Gone. Brilliant, get get gone on your watch list, yeah, basically. On Netflix, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks ever so much for your time, ladies. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Right, thank thank you. you. Thank you for listening. To keep up to date with Leading Communities podcast releases and updates, follow us at A4UCIC, at Ideal Directions, and at That's All Media.